0: You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 317. Today, we are going to hear from Dr. Antia, Kim Carlos, and Kat Carter, who will be teaming up for this very special and very important episode on unpacking the power of GLP 1 in the fight against obesity. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an extraordinary episode of the PT Profit Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to get you ready for a great conversation that Beverly had with her three amazing guests. As a compassionate fitness professional myself, I'm thrilled to introduce a discussion that is not only enlightening, but deeply meaningful. Today, we're diving into the world of health, wellness, and the transformative journey of understanding and treating obesity. Our guests, Kim Carlos, Kat Carter, and Dr. Matea Rentia, bring their unique perspectives and personal experiences to the table, sharing insights on the power of GLP-1 medications, the challenges of childhood obesity, and the importance of compassionate health care. From Kim's inspiring journey as the founder and host of the Plus Size podcast to Kat's dual role as co-host and producer, and Dr. Rentia's expert view as a board-certified physician specializing in obesity medicine, this episode is packed with stories of triumph, science, and the relentless pursuit of health. So as we delve into the complex world of obesity, its treatment, and the incredible benefits of GLP-1 medications, I invite you to listen, learn, and be inspired by the courage and dedication of our guests. This isn't just about weight, it's about health, understanding and changing lives. If you love it, share it. Now, let's get started.
1: Oh my gosh, I don't even know what to just say. I mean, welcome dream team is what I'm really going (laughs) to lead with. I am super excited to have each and every one of you join me on today's podcast episode. I have been I mean, I'm losing sleep over how excited I am to have this conversation that I think is so important and essential, and I just, I can't wait. So enough me, blah, blah, blah blahing. I would love for you to please just introduce yourself a little bit about who you are, who you serve, and how you got there.
2: Hi, my name is Kim. I'm Kim Carlos. I am the founder and host of the Plus Sides podcast which is a podcast that focuses on health and wellness, but specifically around treating the disease of obesity and related diseases and disorders. And we talk a lot about GLP-1 medications and how they treat this dysfunction and all of the amazing health benefits that they have and how to have a full round, healthy life.
3: Yep. I second that. I'll just jump on in. Hi, I'm Get Kat it. Carter. It says Katherine Carter. You can call me Katherine. I've been called Kathy and you can call me Kat. usually I answer to all three, just not Katie. No, Katie. No,
2: never. Mm-mm.
3: No. Cat. Right. <laughs> Cat okay. it is. Cat it is. Woo. But I am a co-host and associate producer for the Plus Sides podcast with Kim Kim Carlos. Kind of, I know, right? Echoing mm-hmm. the sentiment. It's a health and wellness advocacy podcast focusing around obesity. Kim and I have both suffered through childhood obesity and into adult obesity. And we all share our stories several times a week. We never get tired of talking about GLP-1 therapies and treating obesity and speaking with fabulous doctors like Dr. Rantia. Yes. Segway. <laughs> nice. That's I'm some associate
4: so producer stuff right there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for that.
4: I, so I'm excited to be here as well. So I'm Matea Rentia. I'm a board certified internal medicine and obesity medicine physician. And I am the founder of the Rentia Metabolic Clinic. It's a telehealth obesity
1: medicine practice for residents of the states of Illinois and Indiana. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay. So Dr. Rentia, did I say that right? You got it. Yeah, oh, okay. perfect. All right. Okay. I'm I might I might trip it up but you know, anyway, I'm so excited to have you here. Honestly, I'm, I'm sure Kim, I reached out to Kim first. She gave you some context. It's my intention to just really bring awareness around this conversation. So many of the people that I work with, which are high level educated professionals, they had, there's a lot of trepidation and, and misinformation and nerves around having crucial conversations around these these topics that we're going to dive into Mm -hmm. tonight so i'm really really excited about it so the first thing that i would love for you to just expand upon you know just for some educational foundation is we kick around these words like obesity and we've heard them like since i was younger and i think that they the definitions of what that means to people have changed can you share with us the actual definition when you speak to the disease of obesity Yeah, I, I'm going to kick this off and I, and I'll, and I'll leave it open, but I
4: actually brought a definition today because I thought it's really hard to define it. And so I want to say when people hear the word obesity, they typically think BMI, body mass index, that's what kind of goes around on social. So body mass index would say obesity is a BMI of 30 and above. It's a height, weight measurement that we know is highly inaccurate and not a good measure of health. And so what I brought was the definition today from the Obesity Medicine Association and listen to how complex this is. They're defining obesity as a chronic, progressive, relapsing, treatable, multifactorial, neurobehavioral disease where you have an increased body fat that promotes adipose tissue dysfunction and abnormal fat mass forces resulting in adverse metabolic, biochemical, and psychosocial health consequences. So here's the bottom line it's not just weight on you. It is causing metabolic problems. It is causing problems with your joints. Like you might get arthritis at an early age. You might get sleep apnea because the throat's collapsing in Mm -hmm. and you are getting lots of consequences in multiple areas of your life. So it's not just BMI. So it's a really complex disorder. I know that was heavy, but I figured let's just say what it is, which it's not something super simple, right? And I think that's what, what people miss with this.
1: Oh my gosh, I love it straight in. Let's go yeah. right in with me, <laughs> Dr. Rentia, okay? So, you know, Kim mentioned that she had struggled with childhood obesity and and I know that we're not going to talk a lot about children, but I am curious like does the definition change over time? Like what are the biggest differences between childhood obesity and adult obesity?
4: So I'll say that I see adults 18 and over. So internal medicine is adult. I mean, when you go to medical school, you see children. And part of my obesity medicine training was with children. The definition still remains. However, we think about the treatment differently with children. I'll say that. So we have to be very cautious. I'm just highly sensitive when we're talking to someone that's that's not an adult. The, the, to be honest, I don't talk about weight at all with children. It's really a focus on promoting health and variety of foods in the house, things like that. So I think probably the things I'm going to talk about today, or maybe what we talk about is much more focused on adults. It doesn't mean that a lot of the principles don't apply, but kids are just always different, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. That
2: is what pediatricians always say, or at least my, my, my son's pediatrician. He's like, kids have different rules.
1: They're weird. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, kids. that's a whole different piece, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I love it. All right. So then I'd love for you to share like antidotes, like, you know, t- you know, your stories on, yeah. in terms of like, how did you discover, because I feel like we don't talk about obesity or we have not for a long time, talked about obesity as a disease. How did you come to discover that this was actually something that needed to be medically treated? Yeah, that's a, I'll
2: I'll take it. So I'll be honest, I have dealt with like problems with my weight since I was eight years old. My first diet was Weight Watchers. I did it alongside of my mom after she had had my sister and she was trying to lose weight. And I remember like standing over a rice cake in the kitchen and drizzling like Hershey syrup sauce on it, and like just trying to find something that would taste good to our brains, right? So that we could stay within our points and lose weight. Was, and while I-
1: ask, was this a point? Were we yes. on the point factor we yet? We
2: were in the points. Yeah. You know, my brother, are not big fans of that. I know. <laughs> but, and I just at an early age was very aware of the size of my body and that it was not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And i at some point during like i will just be honest like i cat and i both suffer from binge eating disorder and when we were younger and it continued into adulthood and we talk about it pretty openly on our show so like if if you need me to like say bed or anything like that just tell me because like i know certain platforms no but for bed and that started for me at that age i definitely had a lot of feelings and i didn't know what to do with them and the one thing i could control was food so I began to overeat and that became a, an emotional connection to food for me that continued to, I would just say, like, get worse and become more unhealthy as I continued to age and then gain more weight. I would say, and the reason I'm kind of explaining like the beginning is because when I, I I've, I've treated this several times. So there are no cures, no cure for obesity, there's just treatments. And I got to be honest with you, all these years, Every time I would go to a doctor and I, it, it, if I was going for a cold, it was, you could lose some weight. It was, it didn't matter when it was or what size I was, but I, if I went for a broken toe, it was because you need to lose weight. If I went for, that's, that's how I was for sure treated and dismissed. The only thing I could ever get out of them was like blood work. And then they'd be like, Hey, your blood works fine. You're fine. And that was kind of it. Well, of course, cause I was young. Right. And then as I continue to age, I at some point got on a medication when I was just out of college and no, I was in college and I gained a hundred pounds like that. It was one of the side effects of the medication and I could not get it off at that point. Like all those like bouncing around diets that I would always do because I w- I've been dieting forever. So I would lose, regain, lose, regain, lose, regain. And I was very active in high school and middle school. I wasn't, I was nowhere near as active as I'm sure Kat will explain for that she was. But like, did I do, I was sports. I was on the flag line. I was dancing with a flag on the football field. I was exercising constantly. I was always out with friends and socializing, but I was still in a bigger body. I'm tall and I was still in a bigger body. At some point, I, after I regained that weight, I went to, I heard Oprah Oprah, about the lap band surgery and about how you could lose weight. And then it was reversible. And of course, like with my diet culture mind, I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm young. I'm like 27, right? So I'm like, I go and see a bariatric surgeon. I go through all the hoops to get the lap band. And the whole pitch is it's reversible. It's reversible because I didn't want to get my stomach stapled, which is what my ignorant self thought that that was and certainly wasn't paying attention because I was young and you know and so I just wanted to have I wanted to have a family and so I went and got that done I guess I lost about maybe 70 pounds or so and then I had a couple miscarriages after that and then eventually kind of just a miracle pregnancy with my son and after my son was born and and towards the end of my pregnancy with him you have to get the lap band deflated when you're pregnant so I got that and then all my weight came back on and I, at that point, like I, it just wasn't moving. It just wasn't coming off. And I gave up. And so many, many years go on, you know, I'm just kind of doing what I'm doing in 2020. I hurt my back and I was, like, I have to go see a doctor now. I can't avoid him anymore. A major doctor aversion. And, and so then I went to the doctor and we had to do some treatments, get my back. And then she said, let's do some blood work and see where we're at. Right. And the answer was like every time you come every year I'm noticing your sugars are going higher and higher and while we're still in an okay range now it's indicative that there's probably something else going on that we can't necessarily you know monitor see right now but it's probably going on metabolically you know so she was and I was like metabolically like you know what is all this you say you know and she was just she's just a, a nurse practitioner she wasn't a doctor and she was just like we should do this now so that in a year we're not talking about diabetes because that's how fast things can change. Right. Yeah. And, and of course I was terrified. And so she said, let's talk about this medication called Saxenda. Saxenda is a GOP-1 medication. So that's the class of medications. And we can talk a little bit more about the sciency about that with Dr. Rantia. But the whole point really with, is that I didn't really know what I was doing. I don't feel like there was a very good conversation with her about what I was getting into. And because I, you know, didn't really know better or want to, because I was scared. I didn't research it much. I just was like, okay, I'm going to go on a shot, a daily shot. Okay. And so I get it. I honestly, I didn't even know it was a shot until I picked it up. And so I, I go and I'm like, I need to figure out what the hell this is. And so I pull up TikTok, you know, cause that's what you do when you're looking for. <laughs> that's when you're looking for expert, uh, uh, expert advice. That's what you're you doing when you're looking for like answers, it. you know? So <laughs> I pull up TikTok and I'm like, right? Like, who's this? Well, during that process, you know, I start stumbling onto this like community of a lot of people taking GLP-1 specifically Manjaro, right? That was sort of like a community that was being built like when I came in. Yeah. So I started taking the medicine. I'm noticing I'm losing a little bit more weight, right? And and I'm, I'm just sort of eating less. And I kind of noticed it's a little quieter. But for me, I didn't realize it was a disease until one, I started seeing doctors like Dr. Rentia talking about it and educating on it. And two, until my food noise shut off. I had no idea that I even had food noise. And when it turned off, it turned off like a switch. And everything changed for me. The capacity in my brain, the, my palate, like literally the foods that I enjoyed. My, I used to have just obsessive, debilitating anxiety, and I'm very good at masking so that people would not know that. A conversation like you and I are having right now, a year and a half ago, no but I'm right here with you now, and I'm not nervous at all. And a lot of that, well, first I have a podcast, but also because I just always had this just anxious unease, you know, and I think just that never being satisfied, I don't know how to describe it. It affects your brain. And so when there was a certain level of being satisfied with my stomach, this is what my experience was like, I noticed that there was this freeing of my brain. And I started to think to myself, And it kind of goes to some of the questions you mentioned, like, are these bad habits that I had or were they a symptom of this disease? Right. And that those aha moments, right, were so huge for me and and earth shattering and monumental that I couldn't stop talking about it. And one of our friends that has a podcast about a similar topic, he calls his GLP one evangelist because we're just like amazed. By the difference, it's not about the weight, it's always been about the health. But the medication isn't like this appetite suppression that everybody talks about. Not a skinny shot. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like people say, Oh, it's appetite. There are other medications you can take to get to suppress your appetite. And we can talk all about that with Dr. Murcia. The difference is, is that this actually treats the underlying dysfunction in the body. And so, and I would love if Dr. Runti would kind of explain insulin resistance and the spectrum and, 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 you know, and go into that a little bit, because I feel like that may connect some dots, like to the sciencey stuff. <laughs> and she can definitely explain that better than me. That was a great evil laugh, Kim. Was it? it is, oh, that was my giggle. Was it evil? Oh. <laughs> was well, it <not> even... <laughs> Sounds like Pillsbury Doughboy. Isn't that fitting?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I gotta that. laugh sometimes, you know. I'd love to talk about it because you know, you got people screaming on the internet right now while, like, oh, you just need to work, mm-hmm. you need to eat less and just work harder. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, God, you know, yeah. I always say to for me, when I, you know, I, I'm so anti diet culture, I hate talking about diet, I hate talking about diets just in the sense that, like, have you, yeah, I say to my kids all the time or to my husband, really, it's like, it seems like no one knows how to eat, but everyone knows how to diet. Yeah you know? Yeah, true. So it's like, we, like, that's the, we don't, we don't say that word in this house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we talk we about all kinds of either. food. You get dessert at dinner. There's no, like, you're not yeah. a dog. Right. You know, these are things mm-hmm. that we talk about all the time. However, yeah. something, you know, there is, you, you did talk, I, I know you, I know that I, I won't get into it. I'll leave space to talk about some of the science stuff, but I am yeah. curious to unpack food noise a little bit more. Like, what does yeah. that sound like? How do people know what that is? Yeah. How do they have their own ahas around this? Yeah. And- it's very interesting. It's like,
2: I think that it, you have to be a little introspective, but I would say if we're talking about any kind of magic at all, and I'll just tell you from like, from my perspective and many people who have been on the show mm-hmm. and in our community. That's the magic because it's you don't know how bad it is until it's silenced and then you can hear your own thoughts. And so like for me, I'll explain like what it's like for me. And of course, like Cat Dr. And Tia as well. But for me, food noise was always thinking about food. I could be in the middle of a meal and I'm still thinking about what I'm going to eat at lunch. I am not even done with my meal yet. And I'm thinking about what am I going to eat? What I'm gonna eat? When are we gonna eat? How are we gonna eat? Is it gonna be enough food? Will we be upset? What'll happen when we get the food and we don't like the food? Then we're we gonna do if the food's out there? We got to get more food, all the time, like white noise, all the time, and never stop. Is honestly, it's torturous. Like looking back, and when you hear people getting upset about losing their medication, I can assure you, that's what they're concerned about. Mm-hmm. Is because it is a torturous thing. And if you think about it like diet culture often refers to this I think as head hunger, you're not actually hungry, you just think you are, right? And that is my mama used to say that all the time. And that the it, and in fact it kind it kind is true, right? My head thinks that I'm hungry. It does, and it's telling me I need to eat constantly. And there's a scientific reason for that and why that affects the brain and why your body is sending those signals. And but I would say for me like That's what it felt like. And then all of a sudden, you know, here I am, 42 years old, and it goes, Mm. it was like so quiet. (laughs) I could hear a pin drop. It was that quiet. Yeah, it was. And the powerful piece of that allowed me to recognize that I was a sick person that needed medicine. And I remember having a moment where I said, This may be it this may be the thing that's been wrong all along. And I said to myself, like, am I going to squander this or am I going to do everything I can? And I said, I'm going to do everything I can. And that's what I've been doing for the past year and a half. And it kind of grew into trying to do things to help others and give others a voice. And we saw a lot of stuff you're talking about, the misinformation and the people talking about you need to diet and exercise. I can assure you, every person that's obese has done about every diet there is. They've exercised it. They've done it all. The difference is the body continues to fight. The body continues, the the obesity, the disease, it continues to fight you. And there's, that's why the regain is there. That's why, you know, we can't do it, but you'll find if you treat someone's disease before you know it, They are eating nutritiously. And do I think that they have just the same amount of right to be able to go to McDonald's and have some fries as anybody else? Yes. If they're working metabolically, and I know that there are people that are in a smaller body that can eat whatever they want, right? Then of course the exact opposite can be true and they never gain weight, right? So if my body is working correctly, and for the most part, I'm focusing on protein and nutrition and moving my body and then my mental health, right? If all of those are things are happening, then of course- I can have some French fries,
3: right? Okay, You know what, Kim? Also the the great thing about a GLP-1 medication, you can go to to have a meal at McDonald's and then you're not obsessing and you don't want to eat another bag of things. fries and another bag of fries because it's just, another it's bag. a fixation. It, you eat it
2: and then it's done. You hit a wall. It's, you just, I it, can have three it. fries. I like, sometimes I'll go on, I'll be like, I want mm. a big fry. And I eat like maybe six or seven fries out of that big fry and that's it. But before it was like, you have to eat all the fries and then you need another thing. And then you need another thing. It was torture. And then of course, because of that, so much shame, like how pathetic am I? And though that wording, like all of, all of that negative self-talk, like all these people get it figured out. I even have weight loss surgery and I still gave my weight back. How pathetic am I? Right. Mm-hmm. And having the food noise go away for me has also allowed me to forgive myself. Right? Because it's not my fault. It's not. I if it was, then giving me a hormone that clearly the synthetic hormone that clearly I have a deficit in wouldn't have solved so many things for me. And mm-hmm. if that's the easy way out, I'll take it. <laughs> because I've done the hard stuff. I've done it. Yeah. And it's miserable. And this allows me to be normal. And it's interesting to want that because I feel like I've I'm an extraordinary person. I really do feel that way about myself. But when it comes to this, I just want to be normal, and if it's easy, I'll take it. I'll take it. So that's Thank what it's
3: like for me. I'll take it. Well, you want I I you want me to piggyback? I can piggyback on Kim Kim's yeah. experience. <laughs> Kim made a lot of points that I wanted like to 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 pull on. Kim uh, suffered with uh, BED, binge eating disorder. I believe mine. I developed it. Uh, Probably in childhood as well. I was, we talk about it a lot on the show. My mom was my first bully, understanding, and it was about weight. I was singled out. It was, it was, it was, it was bad. But doing all of this work on the Plus Sides podcast, I've learned that it's just insecurities. My mom has has a lot of insecurities, and they became mine. And the therapy I did too, because I look so much like her. I, it's just. It, it's a mind, you know what, sometimes when you realize how, why people do what they do. It's, but anyway, <laughs> so I think, uh, and of all the therapists that we've talked to where genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. I feel like I was in a perfect environment to develop binge eating disorder because I was singled out. I would sneak food. I would isolate and sneak that food because I was not able to eat it, but speed forward to adulthood. I've, I've always been active. I love fitness. That was the one thing I've, I've, that kept me sane. But I do think sometimes I was fighting so hard to prove that I was the only big girl in the step class that could also outstep you and outdo the routine. I could outlift you, I could out squat. It was just, I think that might've been a little bit of trying to prove myself but in that in that realm, I did do, started doing purging, exercise purging. You see that a lot, but us big folks, that happens to us too. <laughs> I tried everything. Of course, I did Weight Watchers. My um, first time I did, I was 25. I did lose about 50 pounds, but that came on like so quickly once, once I stopped. Once I hit a really hard bump in the road, personal, professional thing just blew up. It was gone. It was over. Overeaters Anonymous, I tried that. That was, that was fantastic. That was where I felt like, so in over at Years Anonymous, it's three meals a day, zero in between one day at a time. And so you'd call your sponsor if you felt like you had to binge, <laughs> that was being clean. And it was, it was so white knuckly, but it, it helped a lot. But there was just something in the back of my head that said, what, this just can't be. <laughs> like, I I obsess. I would sometimes it would be like if I woke up in the morning and I was ravenous and I was hungry, I was, I was like, I would get immediately depressed because I know that was going to be a bad day. I know that something was going to happen. But starting on Manjaro, was it 22? 2022? 20? I don't know what year it is anymore. But that's when I realized I, I just hit, I hit a wall with food. It's, it, it turned it off The the waking up in the morning, ravenous and afraid of what I was going to do stopped. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Kim, like people will fight. (laughs) That's the reason why we're working so hard to stay on the medication or fight for accessibility of it because it has really transformed, transformed us, turned off the switch. So that's- Uh a nutshell,
4: <laughs> I think it's really beautiful how we all have different stories because I'll, I'll share my own background too. Cause I talk about this a lot on social. So I had childhood overweight, obesity, like since kindergarten, I mean, you can look at the photos, right? So mm-hmm. always a problem family, always working on it, loving two parents, two physician household, all of it. Right. And just never able to lose and keep it off. And so it's just, it was like a slow gain the entire time. And what was interesting is, so I had this moment, maybe this was five years ago when I had my son and I said, okay, like I just physically can't do life at this size anymore. It wasn't that I didn't love myself. In fact, I thought I could just never lose weight. So I was like, don't, don't even work on that. Mm-hmm. But I was like, but I need to do something and it needs to last. Right. And because I knew like, I just couldn't, it, my son was preemie, and It was just like really demanding all of it. And so I thought, okay, I found coaching and I said, So there's gotta be something else here, right? Like I'm not processing my emotions or like something has to happen. There's no history of trauma. There's nothing big there. I love my life, right? But I'm like, but something's not adding up here. So I do like years of like, look, it's an urge and you need to do this and that. And like, just- So here's the point. That's what's basically what I came to realize over time was like, even though I was a doctor, even though I'm sitting here treating people to myself, I did what all my patients do, which is internalized bias. I'm the problem. I need to work harder. Mm -hmm. And so I got to this point where I kept trying and trying. I was like, no, you're going to do more and you're going to try the six more months. So anyway, long story short, I finally went on the medicine and I wanted to share that moment that, that Kim and Kat are sharing here. So I, that weekend was going to go to an Airbnb with a friend. So I took the medication Wednesday and I met like Friday, Saturday. And when I met with that friend, we would always like have some sour patch kids or this or that, you know, you have some things in the Airbnb. So I brought those things and I had no desire for them. Like for the first time in my life, I didn't want anything. And my friend said to me, What have you done with my friend? <laughs> <They> just, <laughs> but here's the thing is what I've come to realize with longer being on the medicine is like it was literally physiologic. 95% of this, like I kept thinking it was a me problem, but what, why is it when you go on these medications? And we can talk science, which I knew but you still have to walk the journey yourself. So if anyone's listening here and, you know, you're thinking maybe this is a tool that you might want to use and we could talk when it could be appropriate. It's like, I still had to overcome it. And I'm board certified in it, helping people all day long because you're, you're just, so you've been told your whole life, you need to work harder. And the thing I really want to like say the most here is that The physiology is broken when the weight's been up for a prolonged period of time. There's a rare percentage where it won't be, but majority of people, when they've had significant weight on for, I want to say more than a year or two. Okay. I'm not talking about you have a pregnancy, you gain weight and you get it off real quick. That's not the scenario. I'm not talking about you got depressed, you gained some weight, you lost it over a year or two. That's not chronic insulin resistance. It's when you've truly like, if I think about me, when I started, I was in my later twenties, that was decades already. It didn't matter how young I was. Like it was already years of that. And so these medications are leveling the playing field for some of that. And so what's interesting is before I went on the medicine, I was actually already eating high protein, already doing all the workouts, working with the trainer, doing all these things, right? And why is it that you can suddenly go on a medication and things suddenly work, right? And so that's just where the science is so helpful. And I appreciate so much being on a podcast like yours, because we actually need everyone to work together on this. Like we still, we need fitness people. We need nutritionists, we need everybody. But then if there's a tool where someone is saying, look, like for 30 years, I've been at this and I've done this and I've done that. Then it's like, there's something else going on there. And that's the time when sometimes a medical assist might, might help in whatever capacity it might. I'm really big into saying with the term with obesity, the right tool at the right time. So some people it might be surgery, some it might be a medication, some it might be therapy. It doesn't matter. It's whatever's going to crack the nut for you. But there can be some significant physiology that's off. And it's not just solved by diet and exercise. In fact, we have really good studies to say that it doesn't work. Like You exercise five hours a week, less than 3% total body weight loss within a year that's you every week showing up five hours. That's a lot, right? Like if you think about it, you're doing great stuff, but it's not clinically significant, more than 5% and keeping it off. And it's just, it's just fascinating. So yeah, I think it's a little bit of a unique perspective that I have because I'm treating people all day long, but yet I'm a patient myself. And so that's always uh, patients that come to me tend to be people that have struggled for a really long time.
1: And they want that kind of compassionate approach of kind of understanding both sides. I love it and I would love for you if you wouldn't mind to just dive a little bit deeper into some of the those the the science behind what you're talking about as well as you know I'm curious you said that you had you know there's some benchmarks that you use when it comes to you know deciding when someone needs some assistance and what specifically is the assistance Ooh. that you are typically talking about and how can someone you know go through that process. Cause I'll just share, you know, just a personal story. My husband, he's, you know, the faceless one, but he went to the doctor and the doctor was like, Oh, my doctor said I could do this thing, but I don't know anything about it. And I'm like, well, did they give you any like resources? Like, wh- what are you supposed to do? And he's like, Oh, I'll just do what Kim did and look on TikTok. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, people will love me. <laughs> oh my well, gosh. If I said definitely- that to him, he'd be like, Beverly.
4: that's everybody though. I want you to know how normal that is. I can't tell you how many people, by the way, I never wanted to get on social, but the reason I got out there is because people did not know there was a tool that was effective and that worked. And I was like, why is no one talking about this? Why is this not a thing? So people do have to go out on their own because their doctor might not be on top of continuing medical education. It's not a bad doctor. There's just a lot to learn. It's a whole specialty.
1: Not to mention the fact that our system's broken in so many ways, right? These doctors are overworked. They've only had 15 minutes to see a patient. They're already an hour and a half behind. Like, I don't expect them to be Superman, you know? Like, it's just not, they're human. People are human.
2: And like, if you had a heart problem, like, if you just think about it this way, if you had a heart problem, you would go to a cardiologist, right? Like, it's like, no way would you be like, oh, let me go to my... you know, my PCP, that's going to spend 15 minutes with me to like deal with my (laughs) complex heart issue. Like it's that people don't think about it that way. And that's honestly, a lot of that's because fat bias, you know, and there is a lot, there is a lot of bias in medicine. Like they've done studies to talk about it. And many doctors, I think also don't want to deal with things like getting the medicine approved. There's a very, you know, Uh, pain in the process of it. And also it's very complex on Kind of the things that you need to write on there to get your approval—they call it a prior authorization or pre-authorization—and a lot of times, like general doctors, they don't know how. They—they they really don't. And and patients also have no idea where to start. Like I have—I have a playlist where I'm like, here's where to start, here's who to go to, here's mm-hmm. who to ask. And there's only like what 7,000 obesity specialists even in yeah. this country.
1: Like it's—it's that it's, and only- that's it.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean it's and. And think about 40% of America is struggling with this, 70% if you think about overweight. So, you know, there isn't enough care. And so, of course, most people are going to go, I'm going to go to my GP, you know, and most people struggle, you know, or they end up like me where I have to go to TikTok, you
3: know, (laughs) because I don't know what to ask. I don't know. It's very complicated. It's a complicated disease, you know. It's complicated. I think sometimes obesity is tied to morality, you know. So true, Kat. Yeah. yeah.
4: So true. So to come back to your, to your question though, I think one of the things was, Hey, when do you even seek this, this out? So, I mean, the, the bottom line is if really at any point you can seek it out, because I think the one thing that I think we get wrong as well, we we need people to trip these really high, high numbers before we help. And the reality is I can actually help you the most right in the beginning when you're struggling. So the reality is at any point you can go in and, and, and get checked out and talk about this stuff. But as far as if you're looking to use a medication, then the, the commonly accepted guidelines are going to be a, a BMI, and again, this is just because it's steeped in insurance industry and everything, a body mass index of 27 up to 30 with medical problems. So something like high blood pressure, elevated blood sugar, things like that, or just a BMI of 30 and over period. Would PCOS, Hashimoto's, or Graves All of it, all of it. It's, so any let, let me rephrase it though, like PCOS is going to be related, right? things like graves are not necessarily related to weight. So it's anything where the weight being up could have triggered the problem. Right. So a lot of it's going to be like blood sugar, PCOS. What are all the things I'm forgetting? It's arthritis, because and... like, you know, like if you're overweight, you're going to be running through the joints quicker, potentially like mm-hmm. the wearing down of them, heart disease. I mean, I have a thyroid. lot of thyroid
2: issues. That's yeah. There's
4: there's a lot that goes into it. Inflammation then-
2: disorders like Sjogren's or lupus, like all of these different, like different disorders that helps so much with inflammation and stuff too. Like these are all, you know, medical problems. And we are seeing the medicine help with so many of those things. You know, we have so many people in our community that have, you know, celiac or Sjogren's or lupus and they're like, oh my God, they have plus obesity, you know? So oh. it's like, Yeah.
4: If people are listening and something that when I first started studying this area, like I, if I were someone that didn't have the training, I would ask the question, how is a medication that helps with your weight management going to help with these problems? Right. Like, does it, doesn't make any sense. Right. But the the reality is everyone thinks about weight as an aesthetic problem. The thing is this weight, let's call it fat is called adipose tissue in medicine. It's highly metabolically active. It's not just a stomach that you're seeing, it's secreting tons of inflammatory cytokines and things. So you're just, people are sitting there thinking, oh, it's just like an equation of getting that weight off. It's it's a hurricane of what's happening as you do it. That's mm-hmm. So that's that term metabolic adaptation. Most people can lose about 10% of their body weight with lifestyle alone if they're really trying. It's to keep it off or to keep going. Most people will need some form of a medication or a surgery if we look long-term, like five years out. So that's really what we're looking at, like long-term changes that we can help them.
1: Okay. Okay, great. So, you know, there's something that Kat said that, and also Kim as well, we're talking about like the morality of obesity and talking about internal bias because diet culture has really taught us to feel like there's always something more that you could do. Like in theory, I could eat Thanksgiving out of a Tupperware and work out, you know, two hours a day and work out six days a week. Like in theory, there's always more that you can do. So- Mm -hmm how do you navigate between the difference between like, hey, let's match our lifestyle as well as get supported, right? You know, Kim, I wrote it down because it like really struck me when she was like, if this is the easy way out, I'm gonna take the easy way out because we, for some reason, just with obesity, it seems like going the easy way means something bad about you. And I'm putting this in quotes if you're listening Mm -hmm. this on the podcast, When the reality is that the majority of humans, like if you just want to take sight, like just let's go science, we are always looking the way we move, the way we think, the way we do things, like the path of least resistance. Isn't that technically, quote unquote, the easy way out? Yeah.
3: wasn't it like work smarter, not harder? Yeah, that's okay Everywhere else, just not with weight.
2: Not right. In this
1: so, you know, when it not comes to weight. someone getting support or you as a coach navigating this conversation with someone who is constantly like living through this cycle of internal bias, yeah, going through this conversation of like, well, I'm just not working harder. I'm not, I'm not disciplined enough. I must, I'm doing something wrong. How do you as a coach facilitate this conversation of like, hey, m- encouraging this, like creating this safe environment of like, hey, maybe we need to look at this. Maybe when you get some external help, like, how do you, you know, especially if the coach has also got their own internal bias, like this is, yeah. you know, how do you navigate that difference between like what I like to call flexible discipline mm-hmm. where I'm committed, but give myself grace.
4: You do you want me to take, I this think, Dr. Yeah, yeah, because Dr. So offers
1: me. a lot of
2: coaching. I think it's an excellent. I, yeah. Before, yeah. Question so, for you.
4: So I have an interesting background because before even doing my clinic, I for years had a weight loss group coaching membership and I've done a lot of coach training. So like that's I love that side. And I actually help a lot of people like outside of seeing me as a patient with that as well. So here's the main thing. You can still work with someone. You come up with a plan. You go do all the things. But there comes a point where and this is what I normally like to do with people. I say, hey, let's for six months give this a try. So let's say that you're like, let's imagine that someone's listening and they're you know training someone or they're doing a nutrition plan. Let's say you do it for six months. And when you look at if they're nowhere in the realm of what other people are achieving, then maybe there's something else going on. And I think the main thing you can do as a coach is hold clean space, meaning you don't judge that they're lying on their food logs and that they're not telling you the truth or that they're not doing the work. What if What if they are telling the truth? That's the first thing to overcome. Like, what if they are actually doing all these things and they're not fitting your normal mold? Can it be true that they need something different? I think that's the the time when you can just start to question. It's not that you can't still help them, but maybe they need another assist. They need another tool. Like we keep using the, uh, Ken kept saying, you know, that this be the easy way out. I think it's just that people are used to that, it ha- that it's impossible when they go down this road, they're still having to eat the protein. They're still having to work so hard. I mean, all my patients, like they're having to like change so many things. Right. But it's just the fact that it's possible finally, that it's not impossible. So did that answer the question with kind of when you're working with someone, like how to do yeah. that? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. yeah.
2: And Kat, what about you? Cause I feel like you, I, I, I think that's, it would be interesting your perspective, like so Kat, she mentioned she's one of her favorite things is cycle bar. And she's My just favorite like, ever. super into it. Favorite thing ever. <laughs> and here in Atlanta. And um, but I just think like you've dealt with a lot of coaches. Like which ones do you feel like have been the best for you on this journey? Coaches.
3: I did hmm. Specifically on like when I'm on GLP one or, or just before. anybody that was
2: supporting you when you were trying to, I guess, like do more with your body and like keep you not make you feel worse, right? Yeah. You kept it to yourself a long time
3: though. I kept a lot of it to myself. Why? Because by it, well, I was, you know, I was so ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed. I was so ashamed of my size, made myself, you know, the butt of jokes before you could start to joke me about it, you know, but. I'm thinking like the, the coach or the coach, the trainer I worked with now recently when I was um on the GLP one, she's, she's very supportive. She just wanted to make sure I was eating before I came and worked out with her. Like just yeah. make sure you're on a medication. I just want to make sure you're eating enough protein when you lift with me. So- oh,
2: that's right. The one that you worked with when you were going to do that Thousand mile, thousand oh, mile what was mile, it? Ride. Yeah, mile, mile, mile ride, hundred mile ride,
3: thousand mile ride. Kim, good good. yeah,
2: yeah. Like <laughs> thousand mile ride, she was
3: doing a lot thousand of training. Yeah, no, no, I think I'd still be riding by now. I'd still yeah. be on that
1: bike. No, no. <laughs> you'd be on the bike on the podcast. Oh my god, it was a <laughs> long time right ago. Now. She did, did definitely made it. <laughs> 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 We're like,
3: what's going know, on today? I'm here yeah. on the bike. I think <laughs> any time that I did like reach out for, for coaching nutrition wise. I just knew nobody got me. I, yeah. it would, it would, it would be like you go and weigh in because they always weighed you in. Right. Sure. And so what's happening? Well, you know, one to two days a week, like I, I just, I'm insane. You know, yeah. I wake up starving and it's just like the beast. And sometimes I give in because it's just so frustrating. I can only white knuckle it so long. That's why I, I say like, I know it was not with coaching, but OA. Then I worked with the sponsor. I would say that's the closest to being as as gentle as you can with yourself. However, OA is based off the principles of AA, and so you can live without alcohol, but you can't live without food. So it it, it, it went everywhere. I I don't. I think therapy really helped the best with with therapists. But as far as like, I would say like life or fitness coaching, I. It was no man's land. I don't think. Yeah, new. It's a new day. I, the space doesn't exist, like Doctor Mantilla was saying. Right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. It's starting to. It's coming around. It's it's a slow burn. Very slow burn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think
2: for me, like I, I wasn't at all. But I, I remember as there. I've had so many aha moments on TikTok in our community. The algorithm knows all. But I had a. There was a doctor who made a video, and she was like. She was being sincere. Some people came at her, but she really was. She was like, I'm a doctor. How do I talk to you about your weight? How can I have a conversation with you about your weight? And you understand that I'm not saying you're less than how, you know, and, and her words. Right. And, and I responded and I, I was just thinking, I was just one of those days where I was like, I want to just tell her. And I said, I bet you, if you sit down with them and you say, can we talk about your weight? Ask them. And that then, is, yeah. you know, and then I'm say, mad
4: it's yeah. consent, right? Cause we've always yes, been violated. Always. No one, it's always this assumption. Like there's nothing else that you just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ask about STDs without permission prior and like ease yeah. into that conversation. But here it's like this assault on you every time. So sorry, yes. I keep going. Tim. Go yeah, back. no, totally. So, it is. And it's like,
2: it's, it's, it's always like that. Like I've gone to doctors before. I remember when I was like, 17 or 18 years old. And I'm, I'm of course I'm overweight because I told you I've dealt with obesity forever. And the doctor walked in the room. I've never met her before. And the first thing she said to me was your weight's a concern. That's it. And Not I was just like, like that. are yeah. you kidding me lady? Like, obviously I know my weight's a concern. I think about it constantly. I don't need you to tell me, you know, but if they had asked her that. And then I also said, if you ever, why don't you tell them if you, if a doctor had said to me, Kim, did you know that obesity is a chronic medical disease and it is not your fault? Because I would have melted.
3: It changes the whole If somebody had
2: said to me, hey, yeah. you can release this now. There is science to prove this. Did you know that? Did you know we have 20 years of data on medications and that we know that you have a disease? Regardless of how it got here, right? Regardless, like for example, I say all the time, like, we have people that are smokers and many of them we know statistically end up with lung cancer, right? But they still get treated and people don't go, you shouldn't have smoked, right? They offer a certain amount of empathy and grace because and you're you there, drug. right? You and we know that I think I think the stats are like 70% of your weight is genetics. The rest is the only thing that you can control. I think that's the study. You let me know, Dr. Antia. But just <laughs> things like that, I feel like I feel like if people would, if a a doctor, if a trainer, if anybody in a coaching situation to help someone, if they really want to help, ask them and get the consent, right? And then say, and when you go and you like weigh in or when you go and you're talking about anything, don't ever have it be like some sort of like failing. So like when you would go to Weight Watchers, right. And you would weigh in, it was always like, if the scale was up, what did you do different? Well, the body fluctuates weight constantly just because I'm here today on a Wednesday does not mean that I may not just be full of poop and water. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I mean, like this is, this is, you know, but if that, if that space doesn't exist, if you don't get the consent, and then if you don't let people know. Did you know that obesity is a disease? Have you spoken with, cause obviously you guys aren't doctors, right? But like, have you spoken with a doctor? Have you ever seen an obesity specialist? Are you open to having that conversation? You know, if you would let people feel like they can speak to you and it's safe, but I will, I think that a lot of people will assume just like mm-hmm. I did when yeah. you sent me that message that I you are also, going the other way,
3: yeah. you know?
2: And, I, there, I, you, know? and you weren't though, you uh, know? So uh, yeah. go
1: ahead, Kat. <laughs>
3: You're making me excited. I think (laughs) there's also a potential where I think it's starting to, we're starting to see that a little bit more. Now we still have medical obesity bias, but it up until I think I was 44. The first doctor asked me if it was okay to talk to me about my weight. And she laughed at me, but I was like, I don't, I I, I don't, I don't know. No one's ever asked me if it was like, I I was like, are you serious, doctor? Like, is this? but yeah. I've it's it's to be the optimist. I see yeah. it. I see it. I see it coming. Yeah. I see it.
2: I did see you're always the optimist. I did recently when I had to get weight at the doctor and there's a whole drama behind that. I'll tell you different day, different day, different podcast, but I got on the scale and I had gone down to a number I had not seen since high school. And I said the number and I went, Oh my God. And the girl and the lady goes, is that good? Because she cared about how I was inferring like what 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 my perspective was on what that number meant right as opposed to what that meant on a chart from a mathematician 200 years ago with bmi right like and that meant i remember just feeling like it i don't know how to describe it just that it was okay and i think that you know once you have these realizations and you are taking these medications if anything, I have seen people just embrace wanting to move their body and embrace wanting to try new foods. And, and like a lot of times I think people like dietitians have felt very threatened in the beginning. Like you don't need that. You don't need that. But that's not, if anything, I think we need dietitians more than we ever did. Than we ever, that's my opinion. Like I do, but I think, and I think people helping you learn the right way to move, right? Because if you think about it, if we came from a lot of toxic diet culture with food, we probably aren't doing the right things with moving our body either, you know? So all of that guidance is essential, but there's going to have to be a certain level of empathy, right? For that to exist to where both people can move forward and have a positive outcome. And unfortunately, there's so much misinformation and people don't understand insulin resistance and they don't understand that it's a spectrum. They don't understand that, you know, pre-diabetes and pre-pre-diabetes start really, really early and they can go on for years and years and years and years before a boom. You have a type two diabetes, you know, and they don't, they don't either. They don't understand or they don't want to this kind of the two different Camps, I think.
1: No, <laughs> <So> I definitely <laughs> want to dive into the stigma because I think I, I can speak from my perspective. Like, yeah. I have a client right now that I'm like, I really just think that this would be a good option, mostly uh-huh. because we just think for for what Dr. Matea j- like just said in the podcast. I was like, okay, we're gonna talk about it, yeah, just because it's been years, and then also it starts to get like super discouraging when you're doing it, when you're like doing the work. Like, of course you're gonna stop working out because you're killing yourself and nothing's yes. moving the dial. Yes. You're right. You can't sustain those. Three not, to mention, a day. No. not
2: to mention your brain literally like, and this is just like, this is anecdotal. It's like, I've even had it. I've lost a hundred pounds. I've never lost that much weight before ever. I'm the size I was in high school and I'm still a large human. I'm still living a big body, but I found myself taking liberties. Like mm, I could do that. Like if, even if I didn't actually want it. And I swear, like there's a psychological component for sure. My body does not want me to lose weight. Over- it thinks we oh. are in crisis. Like it I swear, it's like, we got to get it in. We got to get it in. And that's where I feel like the food noise starts to kind of escalate. The but difference that- is now is for me, things have slowed down so much that like I've been able to ge- gear shift like before I, I would say like, if I was a car right i i only had drive that's it just drive and drive was eat 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 consume 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 okay that's all i could think about i would just fake that i was thinking about other stuff and try to like exist on several different planes but i really wasn't i was constantly thinking about food when i got to a certain level of this medication and i say that like the food noise turned off it was like i could gear shift it was like my choices were my own so if i i remember like the moment that my emotional connection to food severed like a cord and I didn't know what to do with myself. And that's why I think community and coaching and all of these things are so important to the journey. But I remember when it happened, I was going to get my hair done, have my mommy time. Like, and I was like, Ooh, I want to get a boba. Ooh, I want to get a hot dog. Like whatever it was that was like my special treat. And then I remember going, Oh, I'm gonna go do that. And I went, no, I don't really, I don't really want to do that. Yeah. You know, I don't, that's not really what I want to do. And then I was like, what just happened? And I made the decision and it was easy it, mm-hmm. because I, I just turned it. I could gear shift, reverse, neutral, you know, like I could do whatever it is that I need to do. I had a steering wheel. Mm-hmm. I never had that before. I never had that tool. I literally couldn't make those connections on my own until I took this medication. I couldn't do it.
1: So speaking of the medication, Dr. Matea, can you tell us what, what is a GLP one What does it do? And what like there's like for me, I just hear people screaming on the Internet about how bad it is and and all the side effects. And I'm like, yeah, let's get into it. So can you tell me, can we get into the D? We're going (laughs) to we're going to get into the details. We're going to talk the mechanism. I'm going to make it simple.
4: And then I want to say why Kim has had the experience that she has, because it's cool to like know the science, but how to apply it. Okay, so really simply when we see when we say GLP1, that's gastrointestinal protein. It's a it's a, a protein that is made in your gut. So when you eat food, your body naturally makes this. Now, if you live in a larger body, you're actually deficient in it. You actually have lower levels of it. So what ends up happening is when you take this, when we take, so there's either like daily injection, something like Saxenda, which is liraglutide, or there's like weekly wagovi is the same thing as ozempic, manjaro is the same thing as, as Zepbound, which is trisepotide. I just want you to hear the names. So the difference being one is GLP-1 and the other one is GLP-1 plus another hormone. Let's just focus on GLP-1 though. So I want you to think of it doing two main things. Now it does so many others, but like, let's just always keep it simple so we can focus, right? So number one, people, this is the only one that everyone ever talks about out there, especially like fitness industry. They're like, it stops stuff moving in your stomach, which is correct. It slows it down. So stuff in the stomach and the intestine is going to move through slower. So this is helpful because- You will be able to eat less, but you're not ravenous all the time because you're still getting like the stretch receptor from the stomach. You're still getting the signaling that food is there. So that is helpful. We know that. But the second thing that is, in my mind, much more important, one of the main things it's doing, it's going centrally into the brain, into something called the hypothalamus, which is, let's just make it simple and say that it's where you're getting your satiety center. It's saying you're satisfied. You've had enough. You're okay. You don't need that. So The reason that these meds are helpful, it's not just that food's sticking around longer. If that's all it did, like that's a lot of sometimes what like a a gastric bypass and a ruin why things like that can do. But because you're also getting the help from the centrally from the brain with helping on that signaling pathway, that is why basically majority of people, very few are going to be non-responders are getting the kind of results. Did, does that like the, just the physiology, do you have questions with that? Cause I feel like that's like the first starting place, right? Okay.
1: Yes. I got it. Yes.
4: So the main thing is this, when your weight's up for a prolonged period of time, now I don't want to talk like nuance. Okay. Because nuance is like 7% of people are actually not going to be insulin resistant. Let's talk majority, the, the 90 plus percent, Right. And you can get labs on this kind of stuff and you can get in the weeds, but let's just assume that if your weight has been up for more than a few years, like significantly above wherever you think, you know, it should be, then you're going to have insulin resistance and leptin resistance. And so what does this mean when it means that you need more insulin around to keep a normal blood sugar? So when like Kim saying, Hey, she kept getting labs and they're like, you're fine. You're fine one of the first things that's going to happen before you ever get a blood sugar problem and you have insulin resistance, triglycerides are going to go up. So it's like most doctors are not like triglycerides up, then random sugar, then the three month A1C, like they're not looking at all that. They're like, you're good, you're good, but it's already happening. So when you're insulin resistant and leptin resistant, leptin is the thing when you have weight on you, when you have fat tissue, it's secreted. And it says there's fat here, we're okay. But the, so you should be getting satiety signaling from that, but you're resistant to it. So you might have a hundred pounds of extra weight, but your brain is like, we're starving. There's nothing here. That's the definition of resistance. So you have this combination where these two hormones, you have more than ever of them, but no one's answering the door. I always describe it. Like the party is trying to get in, right? And it's like, knock, 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 knock. And it's like, no one's answering that door. So in these scenarios, what does it look like when someone's struggling with this? And this is what a client might describe to you. They're ravenous and they're never satisfied. So you're constantly on the hunt of like, let's up the protein. Let's do this. Let's do that. It never works. Like I remember before going on this med, I would, I would be up to maybe like, 170 grams of protein and like good fats and this and that, it didn't matter. Like there was no, there was no combination of what I could eat. And I was experimenting, I was trying different things. Like I'm telling you, I was committed. I was in it. I was like, I can't get problem. my
1: clients to eat 90 grams. I'm like, let's hit 90. So, but
4: listen, I was like, this is the problem, right? I know the science. That's the problem. So, but my point is, you're never satisfied. The off signal just does not exist. And so this is the problem with insulin and leptin resistance. And so what ends up happening is even though you might calorie restrict, you actually, are, you're not getting the same response. So they, this is why when people don't believe them, it's so hurtful because they really might be doing it. And it's because the machinery isn't working right anymore, that they're literally not able to release weight. So they're not able to release weight. They're hungry all the time. And then urges and cravings are really high because again, they've actually done studies where they'll put someone in a machine and say, you know, think about a cookie, you know, things like that. The, the signaling in the brain is really hyperactive. So this is one of the things where I say a lot of it is out of your conscious control. There's hormones involved. Your brain is rewired. And so again, we can kind of see how it's like really hard to lose weight in that, in that frame with just
3: decreasing calories. Cause it doesn't solve the hormone. Result. It makes me think I used to fantasize about brownies. Oh, wait a minute. That makes me think of that Rosie O'Donnell interview we had Kim when Rosie said that, it was right. her first time on the tonight yeah. show and she couldn't think about the tonight, her uh, killing her, her set. First, she was her thinking first about those television brownies.
2: premiere. Like she was like, all she could think about were the brownies, like no matter what. And everybody else was like nervous and all these different things. And she's like, she was nah. like, I thought I I think about was the brownies She had no idea she had food noise. She had no idea until it was gone. And she's like, and honestly, I'm, I have freedom. I'm free from food now. You know, it really is. It really is incredible. Like what hormones can do when they're out of whack. Seriously, size. So, you know, this is,
1: now at the risk of sounding super ignorant, okay. So oh. at, I recognize That's that I might sound like cool. this. I just, I'm curious about like what what are the side effects that people are so afraid of, and why is there such a big stigma around this conversation?
4: Yeah. yeah. So first of all, let's go over the side effects. But the first thing I want to say is, and I think it's all the time on social. The 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 two people that are always the loudest in the crowd that are getting all the attention, it's number one, the person that's losing weight super quickly and a lot of it, and then the person that's getting all the side effects. You're not hearing the 99 percent other. And that's like who I'm 99. treating all day. It's me, it's all of us on here. Yeah. So what are side effects that we look out for? So number one, because you're slowing down the stomach motility and how fast it goes through the intestine. You're, you're looking out for things like nausea and vomiting makes sense, right? The food's sitting there and not going along as quickly. I always describe it as like, if you overeat on Thanksgiving dinner, but this time it's not moving along in 30 minutes to an hour, it's sticking there. So, Nausea, vomiting. You can get constipation, things like that, because again, it's not moving along as quickly. Not everybody gets these side effects. If you look in each study, it can be like forty percent of people. It's not everybody. In fact, that was my story. I was like, I'm not going to go on it because I already kind of get stomach things at times. And it was the opposite. I had never not had side of like never not had that stuff. But did you have a question on that? That starting? Yeah, I
1: did. I was curious. Like, does this have an effect of like if people have you know suffer from IBS for? example where it's like food is like falling out of them. Yeah.
4: So this is actually interesting if some, so there's different kinds of IBS. There's one that's like diarrhea, predominant constipation predominant. And then you can have one that flexes back and forth the patients that have diarrhea predominant. It's, it's life-changing. I mean, they are so grateful for the first time in their life, it is regulated and they don't wanna go like off to save their life because yeah. there are IBS medications and none of them work with for a lot of my patients like this does. Now, if they already had constipation, that needs to be managed before they even go on the meds and then in hyperdrive once they go on. So if you work, here's the main thing I'll say. So that's that's only some of the side effects and we can talk about more, but a lot of these side effects, if you're working with a doctor that knows what they're, what they're doing, you should get the education ahead of time to stay on top of it. So there are ways to eat that I recommend for my people. There's how to eat, what to eat, when to eat, difference between the days right after an injection if it's once a week versus the then day four, five, six, seven, eight, right? So those are the kind of things where not everybody's experiencing this if you know what you're doing. And if you are, it might not be a medicine for you. So not like, just like with everything in life, right? Like everyone's not doing CrossFit, right? Everyone's not doing dumbbells, like what? Mm -hmm. there's different things for you to still achieve great lean muscle mass, right? So it's just like with these meds, if you're really vomiting and you're doing bad, then that might not be a medicine for you if your doctor can't help you through it. And a lot of the studies will show it. So if you think about a curve, I don't know if we're showing the video ever here, but As you stay on these longer, the side effects go down. So for example, every dose, you're usually at a minimum on it for four weeks, the weekly dose. And then we decide, do we go up or not? You don't actually the next month have to go up if you're getting good results, if you're feeling good. So there's so much nuance that goes into this, but the thing that always gets glorified, it's the person that says, I was sick all the time and I could never eat. That's not how they're meant to be used. They're meant to help you with, with your with how it's going with food, that it's easier to eat less. you're not thinking about it as much, that the blood sugar is being regulated, that insulin and leptin resistance, all these other things are getting helped. If you're not able to eat, that goes into really disordered eating and that's a problem. And hopefully the person that's over your care knows that and stops it or really significantly steps in to help you.
2: Yeah, and like from a patient perspective on that one, so I can tell you, so on TikTok, I do a lot of lives, right? And in the lives, we have people coming in just like me that were lost, you know, and they're afraid. I will tell you like doctor aversion when you have obesity is very real and they will come in and say, so a couple of things. One, sometimes we'll get people come in and they'll go, my doctor put me on 2.4 of Wegovy, which is the highest dose of Wegovy, And they've never done the other steps before, which we call titrating. They've never done that. And they're very sick. I just got out of the hospital on this. Well, of course you are because your doctor didn't know what they were doing and they didn't know how to dose you appropriately. Or I get someone that comes in and talks about like what Dr. Runtia is saying, they're very, very sick, very, very nauseous. It may not be the right thing Mm from them. And so I talk through it with them because I tell them all the time, I'm just going to tell you my experience. I have this podcast over here. I interview doctors. Feel free to like check it out and hear from them. But what I can tell you is talking to your care team is important. It is your doctor's job to troubleshoot with you and figure out what makes sense for you. The problem is, is they think that doctors are going to take them off the medicine. It's the only thing that works for them. They would rather just think about the mentality of someone with obesity, how desperate they must feel. They would rather be vomiting right? And on the wrong dose of the medicine or not drinking the water, eating the protein or all these different things, than to be taken off something that's the only thing that's ever worked for them, right? Because it is treating the insulin resistance, regardless of what the side effect is for a lot of people. So I tell them, I know, but just because, and that's why it was really good that we have these options now. We're best in class with these medications, in my opinion, right? We've got, we've got Victoza, which is has lost its patent last year. So that's called liraglutide. Yep. I know you hear like semaglutide and all these different things. So I want to touch on it a little bit. And then Dr. Rantejo, Dr. You, you you let me know when I mess up. <laughs> but, you know, like those in general, like that's an older one, but that's a daily one. And honestly, yep. a lot of people tolerated it for a really long time. You know, it's a good medication. Then eventually we got the weekly one, which is semaglutide, which is ozempic and wagovi, right? So then, so just because maybe someone doesn't tolerate saxenda, right? Like Victoza saxenda doesn't mean they won't tolerate ozempic oh, wagovi doesn't mean that maybe they can't tolerate zapalman jar doesn't mean that they may not be able to in a year tolerate tide. they're they're all different kinds of peptides right and they are each person is just going to depend on what's right for their body but they're never going to figure that out if they don't go talk to their doctor. So we're constantly trying to reiterate, you must have a care team, you must go talk and have these conversations. It is the doctor's job to care for you. And that's why we find a lot of times people who just go to people that aren't obesity specialists mm-hmm. or that don't know how to, you know, med treat spas. these medications. Yes, med yeah. spas, things like that. And there are exceptions to every rule, but for the most part, you know, this is what we see,
4: you know? Yeah. It's when there's no oversight that that usually I see bad yeah. things happen. And I always say, so a lot of people will seek me out kind of after they've, I mean, there's people that are buying what's called research grade online, which means there's yes. no oversight from a pharmacy. It, we don't know if it's sterile. It is so scary to me. Please do not do that. These are prescription medications, right? So the reason someone needs to be overseeing you. So we talked about some of the more benign side effects, right? But then there are scary things that can happen, for example, called pancreatitis, where this is this is potentially a life-threatening condition that can happen, right? And so that, there are different black box warnings. Like you need someone to fully walk you through these things. It's a conscious decision when you go into this to know, this is what I always tell people, we go through all the risks and the risks are long and we know that and you need to hear them. We need to go in with our eyes wide open, right? Right. But then I say, but this is the reason why I think it would benefit you. Here's your medical history. I go over things like there are 13 different types of cancer that are associated with the weight being up. And a lot of, if you have a lot of women listening, a lot of them are the female gynecologic cancers, breast cancer, uterine, endometrial, thyroid, you know, I could go on. And so I I say to them, I think that all of this, I think you would benefit from it, but I want you to know that these other things can happen. And that's with any medication It's not unique to this class. All medications have side effects. Like we've always known that as a doctor, but in this community, it's so polarizing. Like, why would you accept any side effects? Because you get help with this other 99% that you never had a tool for. That's why.
2: And they're also mild and moderate for most people and manageable as long as you have care. Like most people- Like I, for me, for so I've been doing this 18 months and I've been on all of them because of shortages and stupid ass insurance, you know, and they make you do step therapy and all the things. It's ridiculous. That being said, having the perspective of realizing that they're all amazing in their own way has been nice to be able to share with my community when they feel like they can't get what they think may be the best and the hottest and the newest. Mm -hmm. Right. To be able to be like, oh, look, balloons. (laughs) <laughs> oh audio. Sorry. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> that amazing. Was like, I told you, I talk with my hands. I have, I got all the <laughs> trolls are like, you're talking with your hands. I'm like, yeah, but you're paying attention. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But I think like, that's, uh, I can't remember what I was talking about that. Cause the balloons distracted me. You tried <laughs> all the drugs. Yeah. You are trying all the drugs. Yes. All the drugs in the land. Yeah. So I've tried them all and I've had different kinds of side effects with them, but because I was always in touch with, you know, a doctor and I could be like, what do mm-hmm. I do? And they would be like, well, you're pretty constipated. How's your fiber intake? Well, I don't eat really much fiber. All right, let's get a supplement in and let's start getting some multigrain toast. You know, I mean, things like that. Are you, how are you eating broccoli? Are you eating this? You know, that kind of, we would have those conversations or being able to, a lot of these telehealths have access to a dietitian as part of their like monthly fee yeah. that you pay. Yeah, which is really helpful because you may only, your, your eating may be disordered because you've always been eating like you're on a diet as opposed to eating for nutrition. And learning about that, Right. I mean, intuitive. Yes. And then you're like, oh, I, I, you know, cause I, the whole eating when my, when I'm hungry thing, that, that's like, I don't even know. Like that, that takes a lot of time to lose, you know, but in terms of like the side effects, you know, I've always been able to have them be mild and manageable. It was as much as, Hey, how much water are you drinking? Maybe about 40 ounces. You can get it up, double it. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I'm um, waiting for my balloons to come up again, or, <laughs> you know, or it would be You know, is it really like what what are your stools like? I mean, honestly, you have those kind of conversations, right? How often are you going? And then it would be like, okay, let's add in a stool softener. Right. Let's be proactive about this. Right. Things like that. Or if you get very constipated talking with your doctor sooner rather than later and having access like a lot of times these if you have You know, like one of these like telehealth, that's what's really good about being able to get to an obesity Mm -hmm. specialist that way is you can send the messages in the portal and ask them and they're going to get right back to you. You know what I mean? And it, and they know the answers, you know, it doesn't mean you always have to have this big, long drawn out appointment, which a lot of us are going to try to avoid at all costs, to be honest. Like, you know, it's just not with you, Dr.
4: I was like, I love talking to them every month. Okay.
3: (laughs) So like, maybe not directly, like you may not get the doctor, like you may get a nurse or, you know, somebody yeah. to assist you with that. But my, I didn't really have a lot of bad, my side effects would go ebb and flow, like, yeah. but they weren't, in fact, I, I had a lot of abdominal pain and cramping yeah. and I started taking the Manjaro and I could have regular coffee again. I'm so happy yeah. about it. I thought it was hormones. I thought it was my gut. I and don't know. My husband's
2: know. on it and he t- he has no side effects. Zero. Oh, lucky dog! (laughs) I know. Some people don't. He's never had any, and he has IBS diarrhea, and it's like made a huge difference for him. You know, that's great. Yeah.
4: But
3: okay.
4: Oh, I was gonna say the one thing I think that we should still talk about too. I don't know if you were gonna talk about this, so I'm sorry if I'm whatever. But okay a lot of the time people are like, if you go on these, you're going to lose all your muscle, right? Like you hear this huge percentage of muscle loss and it's like really sensationalized. Okay. I will tell you from having a clinical practice and doing body composition testing with people that if they are getting enough protein, which again, nothing's superhuman, right? Like I'm, I'm I can give like rough numbers, but again, it's like, again, it's weight based and things like that. But usually for women, you know, 30 grams, three times a day for men, 30 grams, four times a day, again, we adjust it based on their size, but and and how much they're working out, if they're getting their protein, and they are getting strength training, like 10 minutes, three times a week, or 30 minutes once a week, like it's nothing, nothing super hard, right? Do you know that they are all either maintaining or gaining? So this whole myth of, of, you know, oh, it's going to be 30% muscle loss, 40%, all these things. Like, I don't know where they're getting it from. I'm not seeing it clinically, but that being said, I think it speaks to kind of the ethos that we keep talking about here, which is someone needs to have your best interest in mind as you're doing this. And by the way, muscle loss is not unique to the GLP one medications. It's a, it's a weight loss in general, right? In fact, it's super hard to lose weight and keep your muscle. So I'm like, I always tell people, my goal is I want you to maintain your muscle, So even let's say up to 10% could be acceptable, but the point is that I just wanted to make sure to touch on that, that people, that's another thing that I hear everyone try to take that out of a hat. And I think enough of us have dispelled that, but I don't know, do you hear a lot of that in your community? Like all the muscle's going to be gone with, with that? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you hear it with personal trainers where they're like-
1: or they no, say that no. you don't hear? It? You know, I'll tell you what I hear. Like the things that I hear in muscle the, that I hear trainers say is things like there's so many people that are just inactive, and too many people are sitting on the couch and they're trying to take these easy things first that they just don't gonna take a pill before they do like maintain lifestyle. You know what I would
4: say to them, and this is this is the way I think about it. We've we've gotten it wrong all these years, where people need to prove themselves to get help. So the reality is, I see that when we give them help, they then can go and do majority of those things. When someone's body is inflamed and they're carrying around a lot of extra weight, first of all, it's really hard in a larger body. Like I can speak to this, like all of you on here. Like my weight started at close to three hundred. I could not really move around very, very great at that weight. Like it took me time to be able to enjoy walking, to be able to enjoy strength training, to do all those things,
1: right? So I hit 200 pounds when I was pregnant with my third, my second daughter or my second daughter. I had my eldest and I remember like, it was awful, like chasing my toddler. Like like, when I say awful, it was like, I had to walk up the stairs and then take a break. And I remember thinking at the time, now, it's not the same. I know I was pregnant and had a human who was also a monster inside. Mm-hmm. You know, Good it's monster. different. It's a different. <laughs> but I had this moment of where I thought to myself, I was like, I can't imagine anyone who would possibly want. it. I know no one's like, yeah. you're thinking That's like, not. I want to feel awful all the time. Although I do think there is
2: something to be said for like the body positivity movement. And a lot of times they're kind of at odds with those who are treating the disease, right? They don't have to be mutually exclusive. And there are people that are like, I choose to live in a, in a bigger body. I will tell you, most of those people are young. Okay. This all, this all, as you get older, it, it's, it's, it's the math, right? Like it weighs on gotcha. your joints. It weighs on your back. And then I remember when I first started, I, it was the first time ever, because my brain was working, that I was like, I can just eat a little less. And then I was like, all right, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to keep up with my laundry and keep up with my dishes. I'm just not going to let any of it pile up. That's it. That's my movement. That's it. Right? And then that worked. And then I was like, I think I'll move a little more. I think maybe I'll think about what I'm eating. But it was because my body was working right. It's not because I lost weight and there was this reward. I wasn't even tracking. I, cause I told myself I was just going to do it different, you know, I'm going to do it different because I want this lifestyle people keep talking to me about. Yeah. I want that. Maybe I can have that now because of these realizations I'm having mentally on these medications and I did. And I do, you know, so, so
1: I am curious. I'm I'm curious for Kat and, and Kim specifically in terms of like, what was like, because Kat had mentioned shame. Right. And I think that we have, like, there's a lot of shame around disordered eating, right. Or just addiction, like there's shames around mental health. We have a lot of like shame around that stuff and it's not anyone's fault. It's also, you know, of course you do when you've got people screaming at you saying like, well, of course, how did you get this way? Why are you this way? Whatever. Right. So you shouldn't have smoked, (laughs) like you know? So it's like, How did you over, like, was there any overcoming or these feelings that came up for you around, like, I'm not obese. I don't want to be obese. I'm not going to an obese specialist because I'm, I just need to work, you know, like, how did you navigate that for yourself?
3: I still feel, feel the shame. I know I still struggle with it. I do want to make um, a point as well. Like I got into the 300s, 310, 320. I was still doing Zumba. i was still going to a spin class every, you know, like I, a spin or a Zumba or a strength class each each day. I was still working out. Maybe but now it also made you more hungry, right, Kat? Uh, the quote Chris Farley on SNL: "Lay off me, I'm starving." Yeah, <laughs> like um, in retrospect now, I'm looking at it like, yeah, I can see why those workouts really sucked at that time. They still suck, you know. It's still it's still still tough, but mm-hmm. yeah, I still I still struggle with with shame. Yeah. Like like I bake a lot as well, which is really funny. So like I, I bake, I do. Um, and my husband's turning fifty or has turned fifty, and his parties this weekend. We've got cupcakes galore in the house, and yeah. yeah, that would be a shame. A big point of shame when I was deep in the binging, I would have you know I could wolf down six no sweat, yeah, and, and then go purge, purge, and go do a workout. So, but even now, like if I overeat a little bit, I. It's still, I still struggle with it up here. Like, wow, you know, you could have gone harder. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I I definitely think when I overeat a little bit, I think that too. I, and I think it's because I go so long without it ever happening. I, I, I have not, I will tell you, I've been binge free since I started on these medications. That's been 18 months. It's the liberation best ever. And so that's, that's, that's been a big thing for me. But I will say, you know, I'm 44. Like that's all up until no way. Know, 18 months ago. Yeah. <laughs> up until it's good makeup. It's good face cream. Have you seen what? my videos? Those are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like there's so much like trauma from dealing with this from eight to forty four. And that is mental stuff. And that's where like therapy, and in my opinion, community comes into play. So much of obesity is being alone, so much of it, which we're, which makes you, I think, feel ashamed and less than. But if you're in a room, whether it's a virtual room or a physical room, having other people say the things that you feel and allowing yourself to realize that there are so many other people out there just like you, that is life-changing, right? That's what the podcast does. That's what the TikTok community does. That's what I don't want to say about the Facebook communities. I've heard bad things about those, but that's what they, you know, that's (laughs) the whole goal is that when you go, Oh my God, I felt that way too. And you see thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are doing that. It's much easier for you to gear shift, right? That's not that the shame doesn't still exist. It's that when I feel it, I can go, wait a minute. Was that what was actually going on here i couldn't do that before but the body working right makes the brain work right you know and then the rest of it i just think the support and i do therapy as well mm-hmm. good god do i ever before this medicine i did therapy therapy is just good grooming you know <laughs> but there's a significant mental health uh, mm-hmm. issue already and like shortage and lack thereof like in this country right so that's like something even the podcast is trying to do so I so this is
3: like cheap therapy doing this
2: podcast yeah. The plus so sides, we're trying, the to, that. We're that we trying to. to allow people to process their feelings and help each other through it as a community, not as professionals, as a community, you know? So I think that's it. It's an ongoing process. There is no, oh, I hit my goal weight and everything's great. As a matter of fact, most people that start hitting like goal, what we call goal, we all thought was a goal because we're diet culture. They start hitting it in what we call maintenance, which most people will, some people will decide to come off. Some people will try to get on a lower dose or a dose that's spread out. And everybody's kind of trying to juggle and figure out what's right for their body. Right. Yeah. But those people, the mental stuff they're going through right now is awful because they're like, terrifying. I'm going to gain it back. Right. Oh, I'm okay. going to do it this. I'm going to do that. Right. Or. Oh, everything's going to change again. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, or, oh God, like here I am living in this small body. I never stopped to think about the fact that I'm living in this small body and I've always lived in a bigger one, right? Like there's so much there, but again. Not everybody can afford a therapist. No, it just, I'll be looking for this medication, you know? So those pieces, I would just say like, nothing is wiped away. It's a constant. So back when you were talking, when I mentioned like, hey, if that's what's, if this is what equals the easy way out, then I'm okay with it. This is an everyday thing. I never stop thinking about what I'm going to put in my mouth, how I'm going to move my body. I never stop thinking about when I'm going to weigh myself or any of that stuff. It's constant for me because I've changed my lifestyle. Now, I wish it didn't have that to be that way, but I do have a chronic disease. So that requires a certain level of managing it with my doctor, with my medicine, and with my my mind, you know, and with the decisions that I'm making. So that's that's not my answer. It's it's constant. It doesn't stop. It's
3: fully constant. (laughs) It makes me think of the the pillars of great mental health because I've had many therapists, <laughs> psychiatrists in my day. And it's like daily, your community, that's required. Your community, going out, movement, getting a sweat on, taking your medication, your community, your therapy. This could all be the pillars of maintaining mm-hmm. our our proper mental health, but just it's in a different way. You know, it's, yeah. people are still kind of looking at the GLP-1 as like, like I said, the skinny shot. Eh. Yeah. I think I would argue that it's in the pillars of, you know, your functional mental health. You know, you gotta, you gotta take your drugs unless (laughs) if you have to take your antidepressants as well. I mean, please don't stop taking those, but.
2: Well, and people often do the blood pressure analogy, right? Like Dr. Garuentea hears it all the time. Right. But they'll say, well, Hey, if you, if you're on, if you're on, there are some people like I know someone who like lives in a small body. And he specifically has, no matter what he does, his cholesterol is out of whack. He's going to take cholesterol medicine until for whenever, but he lives in a small body. He does all the things you're supposed to do, but the cholesterol is the cholesterol, right? Yeah. And that number won't change for him. So he'll probably take it forever. Right. I hate even saying forever, but it'd probably take it forever. So whatever there is the next thing that possibly can solve that, because that's how science is, right? It's yeah. always evolving. It's always changing. And this class of medicine isn't going anywhere. So it's just going to continue to get better and better and better. We're talking 20 years, right? So I think it's just, it's something to, It's just a complete mind shift. It's not, you know, I and I say it, I, and I'm going to keep saying it, these medications are for sick people, right? And a sick person that ha- is somebody that has a metabolic disorder, that's a sick person. This isn't a diet pill. This isn't a diet medication. This treats a dysfunction. And then weight loss follows.
1: What's interesting to me, though, you know, and why I always wanted to talk about this stuff is like some of the stuff that you're talking about, like food noise, like mm-hmm. binging, like we see people, at least in the fitness industry. Oh, yeah. 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 Cat knows <laughs> in smaller bodies. Yeah. Go through all this stuff. They talk about it all the time. But if they have anorexia, mm-hmm. we can talk about that without stigma. There's like yes. empathy around that. Yeah. But there seems to be this like yeah, stigma around like if it's the opposite, the same experience in terms of like food noise right. and shame and hate, they just, you know, don't eat. Yeah. Versus like- Avenging. Yeah, yeah, but we can't. Yeah. But that that can be that can be talked about because that's everyone yeah. can relate to that. Yeah. Exactly, you know, you're, you're working there? on your muscles. Yeah,
3: I wonder if it's. I still. I want. Are you arguably? I think it's morality. People are still stuck into yes. this like moral thing where you have to be in pain to. You must suffer get healthy. Especially you have to
2: suffer. I mean, yes. get, yeah. Yeah, especially like the bored and get obese, right? Like people who had obesity for however long and then they have lost the weight and they've kept it off, which like medical marvel, hallelujah, super happy for you, you know, but like in terms of the data, it shows they're likely going to regain it and it's likely not your fault, right? But they white knuckle and all of this. So if you, if you are able to choose an easy way out and I had to suffer and I still have to white knuckle on it, you should too. Right. right, it's baloney. It's an excuse. It's like the it's it all goes down to you are fat and lazy. Like that is what it comes down to. And it's I mean honestly, like if you think about it, like diet has been around a long time, but for sure the past sixty years and on Weight Watchers a lot of the reason that is the case. <laughs> you know how I feel about Weight Watchers. <laughs> well, we
3: used to use what is it? And I think in the fifties, the Lucky Strike, the cigarettes was like if you want to eat. Or if you feel like a snack, grab a lucky strike. Oh, sure. It was an old camp oh,
1: oh, oh my gosh, that's mm-hmm.
3: crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, I wonder it's like why do you think so many women way.
0: smoked?
2: It's just yeah. so ingrained. It's so ingrained. It's not just ingrained, like in just our minds, but in our culture, in our society, you know, honestly, like, and a cat recently traveled abroad, many other countries they don't give a shit about what their body is like. They'd be hanging out on the, everything hanging out on a nude beach. And you know what I mean? Like it's, but our say country is obsessed with it, is obsessed yeah. with it, about trying to make yourself fit in this frame. So of course there are people like going back to the body positivity, we're like, and I, I for sure was one of them. I can't do anything about this. It continues to change, regardless if it's my fault or not. I continue to lose, right? So I must accept this. Because it's the only way I'm going to be able to survive. It's the only way I'm going to be able to mentally handle this life. Because if I'm always waiting for it, if and when I'm thin, if and when I'm skinny, if and when then that is never gonna come for me. And all I have is today to live for, right? So you have to find a way to be able to exist. But it's very difficult because like I remember before this medicine, I, if you look at me for all intent and purpose, I am a successful human. I have a nice home and a car and a family and amazing friends, cat in the building, Dr. Rentea <laughs> too, you know, and friends, wonderful, like rich life, a, a, a very, very good career. Like, you know, you would look at them and you would say, Kim equals successful, right? But even though I had all of those things, every day I felt less than because I could not control my food, Like, that's how bad it is for us in our minds every day. So showing a certain amount of empathy, especially if you're in a position to help someone that struggles from a disease that has been proven by science, you know, learn about it, learn about it. It doesn't take much. Dr. Rentia has an amazing podcast that is literally explains things to you, not just as if you live in a larger body, but in a way that you can understand it. It is quick. Mm -hmm. You know, you can listen to it in the car. I do it all the time. And it's great. And she covers all the things, you know, there is a way, but the only way forward is if you start listening to each other and just try to set our bias at the door, you know, and put our own bullshit out of the way and just try to care about somebody. If you lead with empathy, you're always going to win, you know? Mm -hmm.
1: Agreed. (laughs) You guys have, y'all have been incredibly gracious with your time. I really appreciate it with your time, with your insight. I mean, I literally could talk about this for, you know, I, I want to gab about this all day, every day In fact, I feel like I do sometimes, but um, I wanted to just say, thank you. Thank you for pouring into me, into my community. And I really appreciate it. So I want to be mindful and respectful of your time. So for those of us who want to learn more, about this topic, work with you, go deeper with you, have clients that they want to connect with you, what are some of the best places that I can send them? Great question.
2: I think from my perspective is the Plus Sites podcast. So it's with cracking the obesity code. Yep. We have people- yeah, <laughs> with a Z plus sides with a Z, yeah. it's a play on plus size. Get it. We'll down. link it up. Okay. We'll link it up. Okay. <laughs> and we're on YouTube. Where you can you can for sure listen if you're more of a listener. We're on all the things, but we're on YouTube if you want to watch it and you can hear stories from people. And we are trying to change the narrative. Dr. Rentia is an example. So we will have someone come on and share their story. much how Kat and I have usually even more in-depth and detailed. In a way that you can understand their plight and their pain and all of that and allows them to process right and then we all are able to listen and understand and work through it together and then we have on a doctor or somebody with initials after their name that is able to validate those experiences the facts science and data because sadly enough in our country right if it's a bunch of people on a podcast and they're fat and they're talking about why they're fat it's ignored but if you are able to say yeah but because science right? That happened. Let's explain the science of it and why you're having that experience. Then there's an opportunity to change things. So if you're wanting to consider a different perspective, the blood cut plus size is a really good place to start. Yeah. Especially episode one and five. Yes. Yes. And then I'm sure Dr. Antiga has all the things.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say the, the best place to find me is on rentiaclinic.com. And again, I'm I'm sure we'll link that or on social. I'm Matea Rentia MD on TikTok, Instagram. So people send me direct messages. But the nice thing with my with my website is that there you can see the podcast on there, but also I have this little quick mini course where if you're someone that is on a GLP one and you want that additional education, but maybe your doctor's not giving that to you, or you just want to make sure you're taking good care of yourself. It's a perfect course. Like I actually have a lot of medical people, fitness people, like all the different things. They're 10 minute videos. It's a little over an hour. I actually do a monthly live Q and A if people want to ask questions, all the replays go up. So it's like super, I think it's, we have it like $97 I hope I'm saying the price right. But the point is it's, I did that because I was like, I just want people to get, good information, be able to take care of themselves. So many people are grateful for that course. So that might be a good starting place if someone's listening and they just want good support along with trainer, whoever else they're working with just comprehensively. You can't usually get it all from one person. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Agreed. And then, you know, Kat and I are on TikTok too. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, Carter. Kat, Kat, where, where are you? Tell us where you are. Oh, at
3: Kat Carter seven on TikTok. You can find all my, my silliness, but I'm also on the plus side. You what now?
1: I'm here for the shenanigans. Okay. Yeah. 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 So many shenanigans. <laughs> many <of>
2: shenanigans.
3: <laughs> I mean, you, you have to laugh at it. I'm a classic middle child too. So <laughs> I call myself, it. I'm an attention whore. I'm just. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then on TikTok, I'm, my name is weird. It's DMF Kim Manjaro. And the reason it is is because before I became an activist or whatever Sorry. we call this advocate, I don't know. Good, uh, my know. son gave me my name in 2020 when we, when we signed up for TikTok and, you know, cause 2020 sucked, you know? And I was like, what should my name be? And he was little and he goes, Dinosaur Monkey Farts. So, Dinosaur Monkey Farts was my name until I decided to become an activist and I no. couldn't bear to change it. I only changed it because, like, I was trying to get the press to pick up stuff and pay attention to us, right? And nobody was going to listen to Dinosaur Monkey Farts, which is madness. It's exactly why you should listen,
4: right? <laughs> dinosaur so Monkey like, Farts. I was is like, classic. I've got to
2: keep DMF. I've got to keep, I was like, so I'll keep it DMF. And Amajaro, because SEO, right? And so that's why my name is weird. <laughs> Although I did revive Dinosaur Monkey Farts. Dinosaur <laughs> Monkey Farts. Yeah, it's brilliant. I was like, oh, this, this is, is like his brand. brand. <laughs> it like, is genius. i change as long as you change
1: it back. And I'm like,
2: well, I can't now. I blew up on the internets, you know? <laughs> so
3: <laughs> That was genius, kid. That was genius.
1: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. We'll definitely link it all up. And so, you okay. know, also... Do you have resources too, as well that show us like, hey, if you're considering this, like, these are some of the best places to start, like, go, you need to go for a doc, like, ask your doctor, this kind of stuff, look for this doctor, like you have all that resource. Right. I mean, like,
4: I'll Kim, I'll let you answer next. But, like, I have, for example, a podcast on what labs do I need to ask my doctor yes. about. I think we even have a, a handout where people can, like, literally get the PDF mm-hmm. and you don't have to subscribe to the list. Like, I mean, it's like literally, we're just trying to educate, right? And yeah. then I have in they two weeks, in a, right? Like, in two weeks, I have an episode coming out how to find an obesity medicine doctor because so many people they don't know where to actually find these people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so like it's simple stuff like that. There's also ones that just go over literally the different medications, different mindset stuff. So there's, I mean, it's very clear by topic. And I think Kim, you guys do an awesome job. I mean, I'm biased because I've been on your guys' podcast yeah. twice, but twice. you guys have it really nicely laid out. i have listened to your guys' podcast and I'm in this. Yeah,
3: I, it's I, I, it's I, I, at I, the plus I, sides. We have a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of information on, on our podcast. Yeah. Yeah, but
2: I would almost say sometimes it may be a little too much when you're that's why I say like in general, if you want to understand your disease so that you can learn how to advocate for yourself. So like if this would be, if you have it, you know, obviously if you have a customer or a patient however you want to look at it, if you want to learn about that and then how, to, how these medications treat that disease or disorder, then I really think episode one that describes insulin resistance, type two diabetes and the similarities and differences yeah. between two and then episode five called fat and lazy. And I did that on purpose. Like it's called Mm -hmm. that for a reason where we discuss where GLP ones kind of came from in terms of the discovery. And we talk about how, no matter what you do, your body will fight you. And all those things that we've kind of Mm -hmm. talked about here with an obesity specialist, bariatric surgeon. So I think those are good places to kind of just understand. And then we talk about, you know, we have all those different things, but I think in terms of like quick and dirty, you want to be like, well, how do I ask my doctor this and this and that? I do a lot of those questions on TikTok. So does Dr. Rentia, you know, I'll be like the top five things and stuff like that, like on my TikTok. I need to start putting them on the YouTube page so people can find them too. But they're people love them. Like hundreds, if not thousands, of people save the where do I start? How do I look? What questions do I ask? How do I call my insurance company? All of those different things. But I think that's more of like for a patient. But if you have someone that you're trying to help and you suspect, that obesity is a thing and you guys have decided to have that consent and that conversation. If you send them there just to learn, then you can go from there. You know,
3: it's also not related to our website, but the obesity action coalition, yes. OAC.org. Yep. That's a good one. find. Obesity doctors. It, yeah. Go to OAC. Is it OAC or obesity act? Just look up obesity action coalition. Yeah. It's a great, and you
2: can actually find an obesity doctor on that. Mm-hmm. They have all of them listed and you can search. Love it. Okay. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. This has been amazing. Thank you it's so much. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Us. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at and we'll send you a very special